When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're joined now by Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. Summit Ministries is a great organization that's supporting and equipping young people to form a biblical worldview. My daughter went to Summit Ministries, and I'm so glad that she did. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Kurt, great to be with you. So can, can you round that out a little bit and talk a little bit more about exactly what you're accomplishing there at Summit Ministries in Colorado? Well, you know, Kirk, 75% of young adults today say that they struggle to find a sense of purpose in life. 54% of them say they regularly struggle with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. So they're wrestling with purpose. At the same time, they don't know where to find answers from the Bible. Only 2% of American young adults have a biblical worldview. So at Summit Ministries, we bring them together for two weeks at a time. We bring together these top Christian thought leaders, many of whom have been guests on your show, and they spend that time speaking with, lecturing to, and then having dialogues with these young adults, helping them find answers to all of their toughest questions about their faith. And this summer, Kirk, uh, we had a, the veteran social researcher, George Barna, study our students, and he found that when they leave, whereas 2% of their peers in the culture have a biblical worldview, 86% of the students who come through Summit Ministries end up having a biblical worldview by the time they're there. So they learn to look at the scripture and find answers, how to defend their faith, and how to live it in a way that makes sense and allows them to be influencers in our culture. That's fascinating, from 2% to 86%. Uh, I, I, what, what exactly is a worldview? I think people hear that word and it's not familiar to them. What does it mean to have a worldview? And does everybody have one? Well, I, I, everybody does have a worldview and everybody's worldview is religious. So, you know, I'm, I'm wearing these glasses right now. I don't really need them to do this interview, but if I'm trying to read something on a piece of paper, I can't see it without these glasses. So, the, so my glasses bring that paper into focus. In the same way, all of us have these big questions that we're trying to answer. Is there a God? Am I loved? Does God care about me? Does my life have purpose? Why do we have conflict? Where is the hope in the world? And everybody in the world is asking these questions and trying to find answers. Well, the place they go to find the answers is what they were trained to do with the assumptions they developed growing up. If there is a God, you're going to end up with very different answers than if you believe there is no God. So yes, everybody has a worldview. And my sense is that the Christianity, biblical Christianity is the worldview that's most reasonable and intelligible and makes the, sen makes the most sense of what we face in the world. And then there are a lot of counterfeit worldviews that sound good and have, make some good points here and there, but will lead people astray. That's really interesting. Uh when you say that what you believe about God affects everything else, and if you, if you believe in God and if you don't believe in God, some people might say, well, wait a minute, I don't believe in God, which just all that means is I don't go to church or I don't read the Bible. Does it mean other things? How does a lack of belief in God end up being, as you said, a religious worldview nonetheless? Well, Kirk, if you think about it, if there is a God, 
if what you believe about the nature of God will determine what you believe about the nature of reality. Is there a real creation that really exists, or is this all just a figment of our imagination? Or do we socially construct reality and speak our truth through our, our experiences? What you believe about the nature of reality will determine what you believe about what's right and wrong. What you believe about what's right and wrong will determine what you believe about the value of life. What you believe about the value of life will determine what you believe about the value of society and how we make good laws and how we govern ourselves and how we conduct our economic transactions and ultimately whether we can even learn from history. So where do most people form their, their, the, the set of glasses that they're looking through to make sense of the world? Does that come from their parents? What, what if you don't go to church? Where does your worldview come from? Well, often your worldview, if you don't go to church, would come from your parents. But more often than not, Kirk, it comes from people's education. You know, there are 3,000 universities in this country and tens of thousands of other kinds of schools. And in a lot of those schools, education is treated as if it's somehow neutral, as if whether you believe in God or not is irrelevant to what's really important. But if there is no, you know, the early scientists believed in God and they 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 based their science on that belief in God. So we because we believe in God, we believe the world is orderly. The test we do at time A will have the similar result the, the test we do at time B because it's the same world. They believed that nature is valuable and should be studied. Nature is good, but it's not God. There are a whole bunch of different beliefs without which they would never have been able to develop modern science. And they all started with their belief in God. So a lot of people, Kirk, just end up sort of sitting in God's lap to slap him in the face. They don't really believe that there is a God, but every moment of their lives, they have to live in a God-saturated world. Wow, that, that, that's fascinating. And I, I could talk about this for hours and hours. I'm so glad we, we have a chance to talk. Um, if somebody has a, if somebody's a Christian, does that therefore mean that they have a Christian worldview? Like, yeah, I believe in God, I go to church, so that means I believe the same thing that all the other Christians believe because we're all looking through the same set of glasses. Well, we kind of assume that. And in the United States of America, we are fortunate that the vast majority of people do think that the values found in the Bible are essential to a healthy American society. Probably three-fourths of people believe that. But when we talk about a biblical worldview, we're talking about something more intense than that. George Barna, the researcher I mentioned earlier, has found that of church-going, self-identified Christians, only 19% have a biblical worldview. So imagine 10 people sitting in a pew. Only two of them are there asking, what does God have to say in his word? What is his special revelation through scripture that applies to my life? Everything, my theology, my philosophy, my ethics, my politics, my economics, everything. The other eight are sitting there thinking, hmm, as the pastor tells his story, that helps me inform my story. It helps me see what my truth is so I can speak my truth. The central battle today is not between Republicans and Democrats or red states and blue states or even religious and non-religious people. It's between people who recognize that there is truth and we can discover it as opposed to people who believe that truth is up to the individual. 
when people reject God, it really does impact all the things that they think about. I remember sitting on an airplane one time and I was talking to a very uh, obviously intelligent young man. He was studying at, at Berkeley and we got into this, this question of morality and I asked him if he considered himself to be a good person. And that's, he sort of laughed and chuckled because he said he didn't really believe in the concept of being a good person or a bad person. And, and that really stemmed from the fact that he, he denied the existence of a transcendent God who has a moral standard and has given us a moral law. And I said, well, if you're going to be consistent, uh, is what Hitler did to the Jews in the concentration camps evil? And he sort of looked down and I knew that he was stuck because he said he didn't believe in a, a, an ultimate good or evil. And uh, he said, no. And I said, wow. well, at least you're being consistent with your worldview, but can you see that your worldview has turned you into a monster? And if people believe like you believe and they're willing to be consistent, that's a world that not even you are gonna want to live in. And it reminded me right there of how important it is about what we believe in God, because it does affect everything else if we're willing to be consistent. Well, you can imagine if you've got an entire generation of young adults who are struggling for purpose, and the one place they've been trained to not turn for answers is to the Bible, then we're going to end up in a place where our, our anxiety, depression, and so forth uh, have no remedy. The scripture gives us an indication of that we are made in God's image. We are image bearers of his. And we can answer that question. You know, why should the pilot land the airplane safely as opposed to intentionally crashing it? When you start asking questions like that, you realize everybody is making religious assumptions. And a lot of people have no basis for that other than just their personal opinion, which they very quickly realize they can't put on anybody else without being the judgmental type, type of person that they've sworn themselves to never be. So it just, you end up at all of these confusing situations. That's why at Summit Ministries, we want students to be confident in a biblical worldview. You have nothing to apologize for. There are really intelligent, articulate people who can help you articulate what that biblical worldview is. Of course, you have to read a lot, right? Like when your daughter came to Summit, she heard over and over again, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. You have to, you have to love God with all of your mind as well as with all of your heart. That's right. Jeff, this is awesome. Let's take a quick break. And then I want to come back and dive into a really interesting topic that you have written about, uh, Christian cliches. You curious? All right, don't go away. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, Jeff, I'm really excited about the next part of our conversation. Uh, you wrote a, a fascinating book called Unquestioned Answers. And uh, this is all about debunking Christian cliches. That's, uh, that's, that's unique. Why did you write this book? What's it all about? 
Well, Kirk, I have a lot of students who come to our Summit Ministries two-week programs in the summertime who have unanswered questions. I was one of those kids. When I came to Summit Ministries way back in the day, before I was the president, I asked the, the director, I said, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. And he said, at Summit, we're not afraid of questions. So I knew I was at home. But a lot of students come to Summit Ministries not with unanswered questions. They come with unquestioned answers. In other words, to try to make sense of the world, they've sort of embraced cliches like bumper stickers. But a lot of Christians, unfortunately, you have bumper sticker slogans that are the basis of their faith. And the problem is that it makes them vulnerable. Because if people want to dig a little bit deeper, you don't really know what to do or what to say. So in the book, Unquestioned Answers, I decided to just tackle some of the big cliches. Uh, this has irritated a lot of people. It's, it's, some of them will irritate you and some of them will make you very happy that you're going after it. But it's, it's a really important for us to learn to be deeper thinkers as Christians. Remember, we're, we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's right, and we gotta be really careful because uh, it may sound right because we've heard it so many times, it's become cliche and part of our vernacular, but we have to be discerning to know, is this really the true? Uh, uh, or am I just believing it because I've never actually questioned it and compared it to the truth of Scripture? So ultimately, that's got to be our plumb line. What does God's Word say about this uh, Christian cliche? So um, let's go for the first one. Ready? Okay. <laughs> A, just have faith. Just have faith. Hey, don't ask questions. Just have faith. What do you think about that one? Well, that's one that I, I put in the book because I realized that a lot of people like to have faith. In my little town of Manitou Springs, Colorado, people are very spiritual. They have faith in a lot of things. A lot of people even who think that they have no faith at all still have faith. They get on an airplane and they have faith in the principles of aerodynamics. They have faith in the airline to have vetted the pilots properly and tested them out to be sure they can safely <laughs> take off and land at their destination. You have faith in all kinds of things every day. The question, though, is not whether we have faith, but whether the object of our faith is worthy. When you get on an airplane with a trusted airline, you can say, okay, I'm statistically, I'm in pretty good shape of being on this airplane. But when somebody says, just have faith in faith, they're not really saying anything at all. What they're saying is just trust your own emotions. Well, Scripture doesn't teach us to trust our own emotions in that way. Yes, emotions are a way of thinking. Emotions are very important. But Scripture regularly says, test this and see. The Apostle Paul encountered a group of people called the Bereans. And every time the Apostle Paul, who was probably the greatest, one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time, uh, and, and so much of the New Testament of Scripture was written by the Apostle Paul, Every time he, he said, made a statement, the Bereans would look back at Scripture to see if it was so. And Paul commended them for doing this. He didn't condemn them. He didn't just say, have faith and just trust whatever I say. He said, good for you for looking into the Scripture to see if this is really true. That's why I love talking with you, because um, you have also helped me to realize that even the atheist has a tremendous amount of faith. And so having faith, I think, is part of the human experience. At the end of the day, we're trusting in, in certain things and building our entire worldview on it. Um, but I, I actually lost my faith in atheism when I was about 17 years old, when God came down and he opened my eyes and showed me the truth. So uh, now I have biblical faith 
in Jesus. And, and that's a whole lot more reliable than faith that nobody times nothing equals everything. All right, let's jump into right. cl cliche number two. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Oh, we say this one all the time. Love the sin or hate the sin. This is one I, th I would recommend people set aside. I know that's controversial because it does seem to be a way to focus on loving people in spite of the situation in which they find themselves. But we need to go back and understand what Scripture says about sin. When we stand in a position of judgment and say, somebody else's sin is worse for them than mine is for me, then, then we put ourselves in a precarious position of not understanding what sin really is all about. Sin means departing from God's way. So we, we have to deal with our own sin. Just because we go to church doesn't mean that we somehow can stand in a position to look at other people. But Kirk, honestly, this cliche is often used when it comes to issues such as homosexuality or transgenderism, where people are looking at, at sec the, the sexual natures of sin. And one thing we need to keep in mind is that people who embrace alternative lifestyles don't view this as a sin issue. They view it as their identity. If you were to say to me, hey, Jeff, I really like you, but it's sort of freaky that your eyes are brown. You know, you, you know that's sort of weird. I don't like that. Well, I would have to say, that's who I am. That's the way I was born, right? Well, people who are in an alternative lifestyle, that's how they see what they do. So how do you get them to the place where they learn to see what is true all throughout Scripture and, and, and that Christians really teach and believe is that our primary identity should be in Jesus Christ, not in our gender, not in our sexuality, not in our intelligence, not in our social class, not in our athleticism or anything else. That's where we want people to, to get to. So saying, I love you, but I hate your sin is not a great way to introduce a conversation to someone when you're trying to get them to see that their hope ultimately is, have, is having their identity in Jesus Christ. Okay, cliche number three. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. <laughs> what do you think about that one? You know, What's wrong with that? God is good. He is good all the time. Uh, that's right. God is good, and he's always good. And I, I close the book, Unquestioned Answers, with this chapter. And I tell of a story of where my wife, Stephanie, had a blood clot in her brain. And it nearly killed her. This particular kind of blood clot has a 48% mortality rate. And this has happened to her twice. So nearly two times I have, uh, or two, two, two times I have nearly lost her. And there was a particular moment where I was sitting in the, in the hospital room next to Stephanie and she was suffering so badly. She, she was awake for a little bit and she tried to send a text message to a friend who asked how she was doing. And she just, tears rolled down her cheeks and she said, I can't remember how to send a text message. And inside I'm just crying out, God, why are you doing this? Well, around that time, I, I went to church and, you know, the pastor did this call and response. God is good. And the people say all the time. And the pastor says all the time. And the people say, God is good. But I looked around with different eyes that day, Kirk. I looked from the standpoint of somebody who was in a great deal of pain, uh, have, trying to love my spouse who was in a great deal of pain and who might not live. And I saw it differently. 
I realized that when people are hurting and suffering, when we use a cliche, we tend to minimize their experience of pain. We're a lot better off engaging people with questions. If somebody says, I could never believe in a God who would allow difficult things to happen, you know, we're better off saying, hey, wow, I bet that comes out of a really intense story. And if you've got time and if you're willing to share it with me, I would love to hear it. That's so good. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that there is truth in some of these cliches, but yeah. sometimes it so tries to over, oversimplify some truths. Now, some of it's not always true. Um, what, what are some of the resources available through Summit Ministries that would really help people get specific answers to specific questions? Well, Kirk, and all, with all of these topics, we've tried to address them through a special program we have at Summit Ministries that's a free virtual program called Basecamp. And in the base camp, we will have speakers who address these issues and then take questions from the audience. So there's a live version of it, but then we always take the videos of this and release them in a way that can be used, say, among teachers, Christian teachers, or in your small group course or something like that. And we've addressed issues like critical race theory. We've addressed issues like anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction. We've addressed issues like gender identity in those programs. And that's all free. That's all available at summit.org. And then, in, of course, in those programs, we also recommend a lot of other resources for further study because there are lots of people out there who are grappling with these issues, starting with the realization that every human being is made as an image bearer of God and that he loves us, but recognizing that God created the very idea of good, but that we have fallen into sin and sin means losing your way, but that through the cross, Jesus Christ has, and through rising again from the dead, Jesus Christ has offered us redemption from our sins, which leads us to a very different kind of life. That's the goal, really. So in other words, I guess if I had to just put it in one simple sentence, hopefully not cliche, I would say that the goal is not to shorten the conversation by giving a trite summary. The goal is to open up a conversation so that we can display the gospel truth with our lives, with our words, and with turning people to scripture. I know so many people are thinking, I want my kids to go to Summit. I want to go to Summit as a parent. Um, uh, tell us again how people can sign their kids up to go to Summit and uh, get a hold of some of these online resources. Where do they go? Well, this is really easy to do, Kirk. If you just go to our website, which is summit.org, S-U-M-M-I-T. For those in the South, it doesn't have two T's. It's two M's and one T. Two M's, one T, summit.org. And you can find out how to sign up for the events that we have for young adults. Now, these are for students aged 16 to 25. So we're looking for students who are in college or who are on their way to college. We want them to come for two weeks, either to our campus in Manitou Springs, Colorado, or on Lookout in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. And in those two programs, you can, you can sign up there, arrange for those two weeks to take place, and then we will take very good care of your children and grandchildren for two weeks. We'll challenge them, we'll bring them into contact with wonderful Christian thought leaders to give them great information, but also answer their questions and care about them personally. It's incredibly life-changing. 
And, and you're not exaggerating. I'm a dad who has benefited from one of his kids going to Summit. And believe me, it's not just academic instruction. It's all uh, within the context of activities and fellowship, meeting new people, being challenged, whitewater rafting, hiking, fishing, all kinds of great outdoor activities. Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. I've loved our conversation. 